Well, good morning. I'm delighted to be joined today by Claudio Grass. Claudio is an independent precious metals advisor and a commentator and writer on matters economic and banking and monetary and all related issues. Uh, Claudio, thank you very much for joining us. David, thank you very much for having me. When we set up this interview, we did a lot of a lot of ground to cover, but events um, events have have overtaken us a little. So, so let's start with the with the with the recent events. Over the last uh, four days, we've had the last count two American banking collapses. Uh, we've had um, essentially an unlimited um, quantitative easing type bailout from the Fed to underwrite uh, all of the. Um, degraded assets of the United States banking system and lend, lend new money on them at par uh, to bail out the banks and prevent a complete catastrophic loss of confidence in the banking system. Time will tell as to whether this is successful or not. Um, this won't have been a surprise to you, uh, I'm sure, but how do you see the current situation um, in terms of banking stability and where things are likely to go next? I think, you know, I mean, the boom-bust cycles uh, basically are driven by central banks. You know, we have a boom when central banks are reducing interest rates and check new credit uh, into the system. I mean, then when you have, you know, everything is going up, basically, and uh, what we are now witnessing uh, is basically that, uh, you know, we are seeing interest rates rising fastly. And at the same time, when we look at M1 or M2, you know, also there the credit is basically uh, reduced within the system. So the outcome, of course, the logical quintessence is always when you rise interest rates and you have less new credit injected into the system, this is going to lead to a bust. And I think now with the Silicon Valley uh, Mopacho Bank, which basically was uh, mainly, you know, it's kind of LGBT and the green bubble, that's, you know, the customer they had in the background, which is all related to central planning of Marxism. I think that stuff has collapsed. And, um, and now, you know, I think the trend is clear. I mean, the banks uh, are having huge problems. Uh, we can see that, you know, not only in the States, but also in Europe. And uh, even if we look at the new theories which are pushed on us, like modern monetary theory and universal basic income, uh, this is all, you know, uh, neo-Marxism. Uh, it's not going to work. You know, there, it's never the quantity of money, or, or it's never a problem when it comes to the scarcity of money. It's always the scarcity of goods and services, because money is just a means to an end. We need money to buy goods and services. So if we have less goods and services, uh, you know, I mean, then basically prices are rising or falling depending on how much credit is injected into the system. And that has an impact. Of the aspects we've not had a chance really to examine in the uh, the failure of uh, Silicon Valley Bank, but they seem to have gone very much for a hiring policy in accordance with a woke political agenda, not in accordance with competency. And um, things like risk control and uh, risk management, um, as a result, uh, doesn't appear to have been um, well handled. Um, this was uh, also the case with the recent collapse of uh, the FTX exchange and uh, Bankman Fried, who who assembled a group of twenty something um, hipsters um, to run an enormous financial organisation, and they lacked the experience, they lacked the the the, the hard won. Um, experience of managing massive financial risk and as a result the management systems appear to have been grossly inadequate and collapse is the is is the is the uh, result um it has been suggested that the real um, catastrophes in america recently are also related to this loss of competence from society that comes from the 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 neo-Marxist woke agenda. So just before we go on to more, more monetary matters, um, it, 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 from what you see of the banking industry, um, is, is that type of problem 
becoming a contagion? Is that widespread? I mean, I think, you know, the banks are really the canary in the, in the gold mine. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's, you know, even if we believe this woke and we believe, you know, monetary theory and universal basic income, it means, you know, that will be the end of the traditional banking system because everyone will receive, you know, his account directly at the, at the central bank. And they are, so, I mean, you know, the, the business model for the banks, I think, is, uh, is heavily damaged. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, because as I said before, you know, it's never the scarcity of money. It's always the scarcity of goods and services. So just injecting money, you know, if it would be possible to print wealth, I mean, that would be fantastic, of course. But at the end of the day, you know, we always have to save, produce, put money on the side to invest and then produce goods and services. And when we look at the whole, especially the last three years, you know, with Corona and the lockdowns, we haven't been that productive. You know, we basically disrupted the global supply chains. We did, you know, we destroyed uh, the international division of labor. Uh, so this, it, it all has an outcome. There is always cause and effect. And uh, I think now we can see the results. Uh, so, you know, just, you know, by, <clears throat> if you think about Monopoly, you know, if you play Monopoly and uh, I'm playing the bank and I just, uh, you know, instead of giving every player 100,000, credit, I give them everyone 300,000. I mean, we haven't created more wealth. The outcome is that just, you know, the same hotels and restaurants or whatever you can buy, it's still the same quantity. So prices are just rising because there are more credit chasing goods and services. Therefore, the prices are rising. And I think this is now coming to an end. And at the same time, of course, there is always inflation, you know, and what we have seen uh, over the last, you know, three years, I mean, whatever our governments are deciding, the politicians, it's completely uh, against uh, the people in the Western world. You know? Now they, they destroyed, you know, with the lockdowns, you know, the small and mid-sized companies. And, um, and the consequence is that, yeah, it's a centralization within the system. And this is also what I expect in the future. You know, it's possible that we're going to see more bailouts, and, uh, but they're going to bail out, you know, the too big to fails. And, uh, and so the small and mid-sized banks most likely will be the ones who have to go first. So it's a, it's a centralization within the system, uh, centralizing even further until, you know, it's going, it's going bust. And how, of course, you know, how, when it will happen exactly, we don't know yet. But I think the trend is clear. The world is becoming much more unstable and, uh, you know, volatility is back. And uh, so, uh, and also inflation is, is you know, you can... You can talk it down for a short period of time. That's what, that's what we have seen over the last few months. Basically, you know, the results from the United States were better than expected. Europe had a very weak uh, winter. So gas prices collapsed. Energy prices came down. Then the official narrative has been that China is not going to open up. And now they did. And this was basically good enough, you know, for the mass, uh, for the mass financial markets to believe that there might be a recovery. And, um, and I think, yeah, just this SPV uh, or the Silicon Valley Bank, it just showed, you know, this, there's so much risk in the system and uh, even central banks cannot control it. And when they reduce injecting liquidity into the system, I mean, it's coming, then the bust will occur. And when, once this is going to happen, then they will have to restart the printing press, trying to bail out, you know, the too big to fails. And the outcome there is, of course, sooner or later, hyperinflation. Yes, yeah. This is the this is the way that the the risk that we see as well. That eventually, the the um, the central banks ultimately have one tool. They have one trick to play, which is to print mon more money. Um, and they keep going to this, and it, eventually, the only way that ends is to destroy the currency. The actual the actual uh, the currency itself becomes worthless. And you have a hyperinflationary collapse. Now, obviously, this has been a concern right back since twenty, since, since two thousand and seven, eight, um, when there was a large injection of of, uh, of credit into the system at that point to bail out the banks. But of course, the actual money supply didn't go up very much, and the a lot of people were looking for runaway inflation. Of course, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. But after the vast creation of currency of credit in 2020, it's certainly happening now. Um, so your, your particular area of expertise 
is is precious metals. Um, so perhaps you could we could start with you outlining how you see the role of precious metals in in the money in the monetary system now and in the monetary system post a collapse, post an, an inflationary or a hyperinflationary collapse of the existing banking system. Gold is money, everything else is credit. That's what JP Morgan uh, already said back then, and this is still true. Just because you know one or two generations have forgotten gold, it doesn't mean that gold doesn't play a, a role in the future. On the other side, of course, what we are witnessing for a very long period of time is already that you know central banks are buying a, a tremendous amount of gold, especially the non-Western world. No, I mean, China accumulated a huge amount of, of gold. We don't have the clear figures because it's all going through the Shanghai Gold Exchange. We can see, you know, countries with weak currencies and which are now more in, the, in alliance with the East. I mean, they are buying gold. And uh, I think, you know, yeah, there's an old saying that, you know, the one who owns gold is going to make the rules. So I think gold will definitely be part uh, of, the future, of the future system. And, um, and what you mentioned before, you know, destroying the monetary system. I mean, this is something that Lenin said. You know, Lenin always said to destroy the bourgeoisie or the, or, you know, the, 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 yeah, the bourgeoisie system. You basically have to destroy, you know, their monetary system. That's exactly what is happening. Uh, it already happened in the past, uh, 100 years ago. Uh, you know, it was a big reset. Uh, we had a uh, hundred years ago, and I think we are. Yeah, history does not repeat, but it rhymes. So we can see exactly the same patterns. And uh, and just to give you, a, you know, I always tell my, because all all figures we know are so inflationary. Uh, you know, we are talking about trillions of uh, new credit injected into the system. I think since two thousand nineteen, you know, we injected roughly eighty trillion, something like that, in total credit. And I always say one trillion seconds represents 31,709 years. So it's, it's a huge figure, but we cannot grasp it any longer because we lost somehow the measure. But it just shows, you know, I mean, they are bombing us back to the Stone Ages when we look at uh, how much credit has been injected into the system. And of course, you know, in the past we had this uh, Bitcoin, the crypto movement, which was uh, a, a, a new market to play with. The tech, of course, the tech cycle. And um, I think, you know, what they tried for a very long period is also to push, you know, the green bubble, which is at the end of the day, nothing else than central planning. Uh, you know, those concepts, they don't make sense. So it's, you know, what the, the money which has been uh, politically allocated into this uh, sector, it's basically that capital. And that's also why we have seen this uh, Silicon Valley Bank collapsing. So it's, you know, we can always try to ignore reality, but one day, you know, reality is not going to ignore us. And therefore, I think, yeah, people have to prepare, you know, and, um, and maybe another, because everything is operating in cycles. And uh, I just did an interview a few weeks ago with a, with a friend of mine. And um, so, you know, we had a, a tech bubble from 89 to 2000, 11 years it didn't make sense, you know, to be in the, in the gold market, or in the commodity markets, for example. It was really, you know, money went into this, uh, into this tech bubble, the new economy. And then in 2000 to 2011, everything changed. And then we basically had the commodity cycle. You know, that also was the, the time when gold went from $180 to 1900 And now, in 2011, uh, basically, you know, uh, it, it switched again. From 2011 for another 11 year, we had the tech cycle, new credit, you know, tremendous amount of uh, liquidity injected into a new sector, and this has changed now. I mean, so since end of uh, last year, beginning of this year, you know, we have seen the same signals that we have seen the last time in the year 2000, because basically gold, silver, it broke up against uh, all currencies, against the S&P 500, against you know government bonds. And uh, the last time we had that kind of constellation or those kind of signals, that was really in 2000. So my understanding is that we are now back in a commodity cycle and therefore also you know, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a gold and silver cycle. Because even when you look at the total financial universe, 100% of everything which, has, which is worth something, I think it's 2.8% which is in commodities. 
and the rest is equities and bonds. So the big bubble is in equity and bonds and you know something which is really dirty cheap, that's basically commodities and uh, gold and silver, stuff that you can touch, stuff which has no counterparty risk, stuff which has no, it's not a promise to pay. You know, so I think, uh, yeah, you know, we can become our own central bank by leaving this fraudulent fractional reserve credit Muppet Show system and uh, basically exchange, you know, the, the fiat money we have into something tangible and uh, which cannot be inflated or deflated away. And then we have uh, our own uh, stock, our own central bank, which is uh, which is yeah consists of physical gold and silver. I remember in what uh, what is known in Britain as old money. I'm just about old enough. Uh, we changed our our, our currency system in seventy two one something like that um, I, into a decimal system. And before that, it was um, pound shillings and pence. And I remember my father, who was not daft. He would, he would always check his change, his silver change, and anything that was 1947 and earlier went in a tin because that was a silver coin. And um, the, the value of that went up many, many fold over face value. And back in the day, um, that, was, that was what the coinage was in the United Kingdom. And it was, it was beautifully simple because it was, it was pro rata on weight. So you had a tiny little coin uh, called a silver thropney bit, which was about about this diameter, and um, twice the weight of that, you had a sixpence. Right, there was twelve pence and a shilling, so twice the weight of a, of a sixpence, you'd a silver shilling. Um, two shillings made a coin called a florin, which was exactly twice the weight of the shilling, um, and you then had a half crown, which is which is uh, two, uh, two and a half shillings, and five shillings was a was a was a crown a quarter of a pound. So you could take all of your silver money and put it in a bag and weigh it and you, and you would get a precise quantity of how much money you actually had. You didn't need to count the coins. You simply weighed the coins. So that was the UK system at one point. So you had a silver, silver being used in circulation. And of course, it, it, up until the First World War, we also had a system where it was it was gold backed, or it was it was gold backed on a fractional reserve system. More on that problem in a moment. Um, so we had uh, twenty five percent gold backing uh, to the pound, and one pound was a sovereign coin. Now, if you to go today and buy a sovereign coin with with, with sterling, it's about four hundred pounds. So it's lost the pound note against gold since 1914 has lost 399 four hundredths of its value. So it's almost been completely wiped out against a stable currency, i.e. gold. So we had this situation where we had silver coinage for day-to-day -day purchases, and we had a gold-backed um, pound for larger purchases, um, albeit the gold was fractional reserve not not one hundred percent reserve. We we can see central banks buying gold, as you say, eastern central banks, not the Bank of England, but many central banks across the world are buying gold, to a point that I understand is the, the highest ever since the Second World War, the highest levels of gold purchases. So they are obviously seeing the gold becoming more important, gold becoming remonetized. The position of silver is much more difficult to understand because it's an industrial metal, it's been a monetary metal, it's produced into coins. There are a small uh, group of people worldwide who are busily stacking silver coins, and it certainly maintains a degree of value higher than paper currency, but it's, but it's by no means equivalent to gold and how it's behaving. What do you see the role of silver is? now and, and in the future. Gold is the money of the kings. Silver is the money for the bourgeoisie. Barter is the money of the farmers. And debt or paper is the money of the slaves. So at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I see, I see, of course, silver. I always 
tell my customers, you know, I mean, gold, for example, during the Weimar Republic, gold, an ounce of gold, two ounces of gold purchased the villa in Berlin. So, you know, the purchasing power in the transition period when the whole fiat system comes down and we have this kind of reset, what these guys are talking about, I think then gold has a tremendous amount of purchasing power. And I always recommend people, you know, to also buy silver coins because that's really stuff that you can use. You go to the farmer, you go to the butcher, you can go to the bakery and you will have something to exchange against, you know, these products. And maybe, you know, one silver coin might buy you. You can go to the farmer and you tell the guy, listen, I give you an ounce of silver and I would like to have a chicken per week for the next so and so many uh, weeks or months. So uh, you need both. You need gold uh, in, in smaller quantities to be liquid. You know, as I said, an ounce of gold purchased the house and, uh, and silver is basically for the daily goods. It's like cash equivalent. And um, so silver is definitely going to play a, a huge role also in the future. And when we look at the, at the, the moment in how, how much silver is valued, I mean, it's, it's right now, I think, 90 times cheaper again than gold. Uh, and, you know, the historical ratio, I mean, you can find silver one to 15 times more than uh, gold in the ground. So basically, the old classic relationship was one to 15, something like this. When you look back into the system over the last 40, 50 years, it was always around one to 40. And now it stands, you know, 90 times cheaper than gold. So it means silver is even more undervalued than gold. And, you know, once we are in back in this commodity cycle, in the, in, in the gold cycle, uh, I'm sure that, you know, silver is going to outperform gold. It will, fa it will rise faster uh, than gold because, I mean, all the gold we ever digged out of the ground, basically, uh, we can say 1% uh, disappeared in the industry. And the rest of it is still there, 50% in uh, jewelries, 50% is in uh, banking gold, you know, private holders uh, holding gold. But when it comes to silver, of course, you know, the stock is not that big. It's much smaller because most of it goes into the industry uh, in the past. And uh, so therefore, you know, there is much, the silver market is much smaller. And whenever a market is smaller and there is more money coming into that sector, I mean, it's just going to yeah, spike faster you know, than uh, his bigger brother, uh, so-called gold. The next issue I'd like to get on to is, is kind of the role in terms of of a society, the role in terms of uh, personal liberty and 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 society wide liberty. Uh, I was uh, speaking um, with uh, an Islamic scholar, um, and Islam obviously has a view of debt, which is somewhat similar to the the way you just expressed it a short while ago, um, and. This Islamic scholar was talking about we need to return to money with integrity, and by money with integrity, he meant gold and silver. Um, and one of the things which I've, which made a big impression on me personally, is if you plot the um, the the wealth of the Western population in terms of in terms of percentiles, you're the bottom 10% of the population, the poorest 10%, the next 10%, etc., right up to the, the top 10%. And you plot their wealth against time. It's a very interesting thing which emerges, which is up until 1971, everything's going up, everyone's getting wealthier. The poorest are getting wealthier slightly faster than the richest people. And overall, the gap between richest and poorest is, 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 is reducing, not hugely, but it's reducing steadily. And it does that from the Second World War to 1971. 1971, it changes. The poorest 10% basically flatline. They don't get much wealthier after that. The richest 10% do fabulously well. And of course, what happened in 1971? We came off the last vestige of the gold standard. Nixon closed the window the gold window, he defaulted, essentially, the United States defaulted on the promise to pay in gold. And that link to money with integrity was lost. So we then have inflationary money printing, which obviously benefits those who get the money first, the richest, the banking industry, uh, the banking interest, financial sector, people like this, and hits hardest the poorest, the pensioners, 
the people on fixed income, you know, so they, they suffer. So we, this issue of money with integrity being essential to create a society with integrity, could you, could you explore that a little bit for us, please? I mean, you know, the name of my company is, 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 you know, Sound Money for a Sound Society. And I think, you know, if you have corrupted money like we do today, I mean, it also ends with a corrupted society, of course. And as you mentioned before, you know, I mean, this is the so-called Cantillon effect. So whoever receives the newly created currency can buy at existing level. And, uh, you know, the closer they are standing to the central banking system, all these political, uh, you know, uh, friends and you know the big institutional uh, companies and the banking system of course they were profiting from it and then you know the, the longer we have to wait until the money comes into our hands i mean then all the prices already have risen so inflation is basically a hidden tax i mean uh, so it's impoverishing the people through the back door and most of the people don't understand uh, the concept of inflation and uh, so that also on the other side of course, we always had the huge inflation in the past, but it goes into certain asset bubbles, like real estate, uh, you know, like the stock market. And so, of course, the, the very wealthy one, they were always owning those assets. And when you fuel, you know, these, uh, when you fuel more credit into the system, it went into those, into those bubbles. But at the same time, of course, the purchasing power of money came down. So, you know, even when you had you know, an inflation, uh, a few percent, I mean, you never, you never got, you know, the inflation uh, with a higher uh, salary usually. So it was, I mean, we can see, you know, that since 1971, I mean, the US dollar lost, I think, 98% uh, of its worth, of its wealth against uh, gold. And that goes, you know, for most of the currencies all over the world. So, uh, I mean, some people are saying, you know, gold has not performed that nicely. But when you think about if you would have started buying gold in 2000, I mean, in the last 22 years, in US dollar terms, gold increased on average 9.6% per year. It depreciated 9.6%. So, I mean, and in Swiss franc, uh, it was 6.8%. So, you know, it worked out. I mean, gold protects you against inflation. Uh, it helps you, you know, to put money on the side and to save without taking risks. And at the same time, you can be sure that in the future, if you hold it, you know, you can buy uh, basically more goods and services than, than, uh, than in the past. So, so I mean, even the, when you look at the whole performance over the last 22 years, you could also have invested in Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, you would have had about the same performance as when you would have purchased physical gold or silver. I mean, I started buying in 2004. You know, I think silver was back then around five bucks. And, uh, and gold was around 380. I always purchased when I had some money on the side. And today we are standing on 1900 and uh, 20, 21 dollars. So it just shows, you know, it's working. You don't have to speculate. You don't have to take these risks uh, just to become more wealthier. You know, there are also other ways how to achieve that. And of course, at the same time, when you take that money out of the fiat money and the banking system, you don't sponsor, you know, this corrupted system you know, where they can bribe politicians and, and finance war, you know, with money they don't have. Uh, you know, once it's out, it's in the gold, it's in, in physical precious metals. I mean, then at least you're not dealing with that corrupted uh, system any longer. Yes, I, I had uh, some experience back in the 2007-8 in the uh, crisis, which eventually took out um, me, Pip, uh, as I was working in, in and heavily invested in uh, construction and house building. Um, so I, I, I was uh, um, basically um, taken down to zero in terms of net asset then. And of course, I had uh, lots of interactions with banks, which who were, I think, vindictive is the word uh, that springs to mind. The, the banks treated creditors at this point treated their customers at this point just appallingly and they tried various things including in my particular case uh, theft which they eventually balked at um, and they got some advice that that was actually just grossly illegal and they didn't but they'd actually sent me a letter explaining they were going to steal my money so I was feeling quite anti-bank at the time um, 
And uh, so I, I wasn't leaving much money in because I was like, well, these people, they just multiply this. If I, if I deposit money with them, uh, they're going to lend it out. They're going to they're going to use that to multiply and create money out of thin air based on what I'm depositing with them. If I take the money out and hold it as cash, gold, silver, anything, um, they can't do that. So I was going in and I was taking out, you know, what I what I could reasonably large sums of money. The reactions of banks was fascinating. They they were very curious to what I was doing. They wanted to know what you know. So Lord, what what are you doing with the money? And I would smile at them and say, oh, I'm, I'm stuffing a pillow. And, and I wouldn't tell them. And it, you could see the, 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 the angst as the money kind of disappeared from the institution. And I, I must admit, for a while, I quite enjoyed doing that. Um, but I certainly came away from that situation thinking, well, I can't trust the banks. Because I saw how they behave. Because when things get nasty, the banks, I mean, they do not look after the customers. They look after themselves. Um, Outright theft is a definite possibility. You have this huge counterparty risk with the bank. The relationship we have with banks, if, if you put money on deposit, we're actually lending money to the banks and we are um, unsecured creditors. I mean, the, 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 the position that the public has with the banks is very weak legally. We have... Um, the illusion of a government-backed guarantee scheme. Now, this is meant to be 100,000 euros, 85,000 pounds, this side of the Atlantic, 250,000 pounds in America. And this has been talked about the last few days because with the two banks in America failing, we've had, um, well, okay, the, 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 the scheme to uh, ensure these deposits will come to the rescue. In fact, it's been beefed up. It's now going to rescue everybody, not just the people who own, who, who have up to £250,000 on deposit. And how much value does that have? How much value is, is, is in that scheme on deposit? How much actual worth? Well, about, I think it's 1% of the amount it claims to insure. So if there's a serious crisis, the insurance schemes not good to cover it. Now, they have, a, I think it's a hundred billion line of credit with the Treasury Department, and so they can they can call on extra resources. That was put up at one point temporarily to five hundred billion, half a trillion. So presumably that will happen again, and 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 again, if there's a major run in the banks, there will be some sort of money creation, money printing bailout concocted by the state. Um, but the the things which are meant to give us confidence, when you look at them, they're not really there. It's a virtual guarantee. It's not a real guarantee. It's an insurance scheme, but there's not enough assets to actually insure, you know, 2% of what it's claiming to insure. So it's a, it's a confidence building scheme until the confidence goes. And when the confidence goes, the scheme's no longer going to be effective. And the public are going to find themselves uh, are going to find themselves in horrible trouble because these things normally happen like over weekends. The banks close. There's never any warning, and there will be very tight control over what you can take out of cash line machines. There'll be the the way a banking crisis is likely to develop won't give the public any warning. It will be sudden, it will be hidden from the public, and then the public will just have to take what they're given at that point. They'll no longer be in control because their assets are in these banks, because there's this counterparty risk, because they don't have independent access to cash or gold or silver or something of value outside the banking system. They are essentially fully committed, they've bet everything on the survival of the banking system. Um, do you have a, do, how, how do you see the, the final crisis when it emerges? And we don't know when. How do you see the final crisis as, as playing out? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, private property rights within the banking system are only of temporary nature. 
I fully agree with that. And um, because yeah, when you give when you lend uh, money to the bank, uh, you get an interest rate which is almost you know very small. Uh, so the bank becomes the owner. And uh, and an insurance, I mean, yeah, an insurance is fine if you have a few houses in a, in a city burning down. But you know, if 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 all the cities are in, in fire, I mean, then the insurance company goes down. And um, and uh, on on the other side, yeah, I mean, you know hyperinflation that will be the outcome sometime in the future but this is only going to occur when people lose faith into the institutions no and for example i mean i just we when we look at the weimar republic 100 years ago once they had more than 10 percent inflation 18 months later they had hyperinflation and uh, so i think you know now we can see all the risk in the banking system so you know, it might be that on Friday the banks are closing and the Monday are not going to open up and that, uh, you know, we have systematic risks even when it comes to the energy, for example, over here in Europe, you know, if the energy uh, system, which is everything is interlinked, if that goes down, I have no clue, you know, they're going to say, hey, money is gone, you know, the bank system is gone, you will receive now central bank and digital coin, you know, download the app. And, uh, and then you will receive some uh, government sponsored uh, money. Uh, out of of nothing in in a new uh, form, which of course will be then used to trace and track. Uh, but I mean, at the end of the day, as I said, you know, because just because you you switch from a, a fiat money bullshit system into a new central banking digital coin, which is basically nothing else standing behind it. It's just purely digital, and it will be used to control, like in China, you know, where you spend, how you spend. And if you spend for the wrong wrong things, or if you say something wrong, I mean, then they will just limit you in in your action radius and so on. So I think, yeah, today you know the only insurance which really makes sense are basically hard assets, stuff that you can put on the side. I always recommend it to my customers physical gold seed as your insurance against the crash of the system. You can also, as if you have a long-term horizon in the past, you, know, you can save money, you can put it on the side, not taking risk, and you are prepared. And you can be sure that in five, 10 years that you will have a higher purchasing power. And uh, so for me, at the moment, everything, you know, is people should think about how to protect the wealth they have instead of trying to invest and playing in these monopoly markets, which are, uh, yeah, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna fail. I mean, sooner than later. I think you know because we have these long-term debt cycles, fifty years jubilee. We already know it from the Bible. Every fifty years, you know, debts were forgiven, the the slaves were freed, and uh, so I think we are now really in a you know we have 1913 the central banking system, another fifty years, uh, basically end of the 60s. If you were an American. And you came to Europe. I mean, nobody wanted to accept the U.S. dollar because the people thought, you know, it's it's over. The U.S. is uh, is bankrupt. And when they, of course, made the deal, you know, with the Saudis, that uh, dollar will be backed up by petrodollars and so on, and that everything needs to be traded. So they created the new artificial market. And when we look at the total debt, you know, for example, in the States, I mean, 99 percent is since 1971, and uh, it, you know, now it's really just exponential. And um, so, yeah, everything comes to an end. And uh, I think we are really in that, that final stage. But, you know, um, to keep stuff together, I mean, you can, you have, governments have to use more force to keep it together. That's what we have witnessed over the last few years. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, you know, we can see these cracks in the system for a very long time already. And I think they are getting bigger and bigger. And now the destruction of, yeah, of the of the system as we know it. Um, so to me, it's it's really you know they are pushing this great reset. You know, they want to create something new, and in the meantime, they're just propagating their ideas, which we can grasp because we have seen it in these Hollywood movies. You know, the world twenty twenty, robots, artificial intelligence, uh, you know, pandemias, and all that stuff. And I think this is just all a deception to basically put you know to accelerate fear, because fear is the biggest enemy of liberty. And fear is also the enemy of sound reasoning, so that the people are paralyzed and that they don't act.
And uh, so I'm focusing on the guys, of course, who understand the world we are in and who understand that there will be no messiah or no government will help them or bail them out in the future. People who understand that they have to take self-responsibility and basically uh, decouple from you know all the systematic risks which are within the current system, which is being destroyed actively by you know our politicians, central bankers, and you know this fascist uh, big business uh, uh, alliance. Maybe I can get your comment. We were having a discussion um, on the UK column News Extra discussion argument debate. Um, basically, between the issue of the, the problem with the current system is one of incompetence and the problem with the current system is one of an actual conspiracy to bring it down and to create the great reset and we've got lots of views within the uk column on how much of it is one how much of it is the other um i i'm i'm seeing a lot of incompetence i look at central bank policy and it, it doesn't make any sense to me that what they're doing, their, their predictions are manifestly inaccurate over and over and over again, and almost laughably so. It looks quite incompetent. Um, and whilst I, I completely accept there is a desire to create this great reset, um, I, I see incompetence as well, which, which may prevent them getting to it. And the system may fall apart because of the incompetence before we get to the reset and the planned destruction. Whereas other people in the column think that we'll get to the planned destruction before it falls apart via incompetence. Um, where do you come down on that argument? As I said, you know, the system will go bust when people lose confidence into the system. You know, once they realize that when they take uh, the money uh, and they exchange it directly into hard assets, like, you know, we had this, I mean, I've never went through a hyperinflation. I never went through a world economic crisis at the end of the day. So, I mean, so it's always hard to imagine because something which you never experienced in, in, in your lifetime. But I think, yeah, it's, uh, you know, one fine day. I mean, in, during the Weimar Republic, I mean, you know, an egg, uh, you know, when you went to, uh, to have breakfast, you know, you, you ordered the egg and you already paid it immediately and it was maybe two trillion, whatever, because, you know, until you had to wait for the egg, uh, maybe the price was already, you know, 3.2 or 3.3 billion. So, yeah, it's, you know, when people lose face into the institution, then we're going to see hyperinflation. And of course, right now, it's, it's, we, cannot, we can say more and more people are waking up. Uh, we haven't reached that boiling point. But uh, I think, you know, inflation which we have seen last year, I mean, yeah, it's back. You cannot, you know, and inflation, I expect a higher inflation, at least for the second half. Um, and, and then, you know, then we will see how fast it, it's going to, how fast the people will, will start, you know, even more taking their assets out of the banking system and turn it into something tangible. Yeah, this is one of the one of the issues um, that has prompted a lot of debate in, in, in people who maybe see the world broadly as we do, um, between those who see a hyperinflationary collapse and those who see a deflationary collapse, the ones who see that deflation as being the issue, they're saying, well, the central banks are causing the deflation. It's therefore a planned, a controlled demolition of the economy, if you will. And the ones who say, well, no, it's going to be a hyperinflationary collapse, which will essentially expunge all debts. And it's not actually in the interest of the banking system either. Um, that's to do with them losing control. That's, that's to do with the, the errors that they've already built into the system. The fact that they have this boom and bust cycle, but now the central banks won't allow the bust. So there's no cleansing of malinvestment and it just stacks up and stacks up and stacks up until you've got a huge bust and if they don't if they don't allow that to happen then the currency goes and you have a hyperinflationary collapse so those who think that it's a deflationary collapse and maybe more likely to think well it'll be planned it'll be coordinated it'll be brought in to introduce the great reset the central bank digital currency 
Those who think it's going to be a hyperinflationary collapse um, see it as folly and, and, and error, eventually getting out of control and developing a momentum of its own that the banking system, the banking cartel can no longer control. Is, is that is that a, a fair um, summary of the debate as to whether it's incompetence or evil intent? Central banks have nothing on the control. You know, central plan, you cannot centrally plan an economy, and that's what these guys tried over the last decades, you know. And, um, but it's impossible, you know, we need free markets because in a centrally planned uh, economy, I mean, you always have a misallocation of goods and services because you don't have real prices. And prices give you an indicate, you know, for the demand side, you know, that you can calculate something. So in a centrally planned economy, I mean, you just have to assume stuff and, uh, and you steer it into what the government decides. And this will always lead to chaos. You know, it never worked. I mean, otherwise, that's why the communism collapsed. That's why the Soviet Union collapsed. Uh, you know, we have seen plenty of examples in the past. The, the more it was centralized, you know, the, the bigger the, the downfall. And so they have nothing on the control. You know? And at the end of the day, you know, if you're going to have a deflationary or bust or a hyperinflation, the outcome will be the same. And um, I also expect, you know, deflation, you know, when once the market correction starts, I mean, the central bankers, they always started to uh, inject new liquidity. They always then took down the interest rates and, and tried, you know, to accelerate another, another bubble. But, uh, you know, we have this crack up uh, boom theory in the Austrian school. So that once you reach a certain tipping point, I mean, uh, then, then you're going to end up with hyperinflation. And uh, I think, yeah. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to bet because gold and silver, physically, it's it's going to perform in both cases. Because even when you think about deflation, you know, you have to look at the, the financial system as an inverted pyramid, and you know, the higher you up in the pyramid, there you have stuff which the highest risk, and at the bottom of the pyramid stands physical gold. So uh, still up to today. So when even in a deflationary environment, people will basically go out of the stuff with highest risks and they will try to look for quality and, uh, you know, for soundness. And therefore, you know, uh, uh, even in a deflationary environment, uh, gold uh, is going to, to, to perform nicely. To finish off, Claudio, and you're based in Switzerland, which is obviously... Um a synonym for, for the banking sector, for precious metals, for um, uh, historically for banking prudence, home of the Bank of International Settlements. You have a very um, unique take on the Swiss situation. Um, I, I'm aware of some cracks showing in the Swiss banking system, particularly in Credit Suisse. Um, and you know, their soundness seems to be called into question. Are there any specific um, Swiss banking uh, and monetary issues um, that you see that uh, you, you feel our audience should be aware of? When we look at you know the big banks, Credit Suisse, UBS, for example, they're not Swiss banks any longer. You know, even since the end of the nineties. I mean, Credit Suisse purchased first Boston and uh, UBS Warburg. They both got the primary deal status from the Federal Reserve. But even when you look at, you know, the banking reports end of the 80s, for example, you know, we were talking about a few uh, hundred millions and now we are talking about trillions. And uh, I would say since the, during the 90s, we injected so much, you know, there was a big party, you know, with the, when the communism falling down, you know, we basically, the, the, the the world which we were in were divided and you know everything came together so it was huge you know they could really fill up new uh, credit markets with uh, new money and uh, so that money also has corrupted you know the swiss banking system so i think you know the big banks even here in, in switzerland no i don't consider them uh, you know they are not they are not in line with the swiss uh, values any longer it has been corrupted uh, i think what is really important uh, still up to the day is, you know, the protection of private property. You know, because in the European Union or in the States, I mean, the federal government, you know, the centralized government, they can decide whatever they want to. Here in Switzerland, you still have to ask people. 
if you want to confiscate private assets. I mean, we have seen that our government also broke our constitution over the last few years. But um, we have, over the last few weeks, you know, we had this debate, you know, if, for example, Russian assets can be frozen and handed over to the Ukrainian government to build up their corrupted government. And then basically, you know, the Swiss uh, decided, no, this is not possible. It would go against our neutrality. And, uh, and the other stuff was, you know, selling, you know, that third countries are allowed to sell Swiss weapons to, uh, to Ukraine, for example, or to, to deliver weapons to Ukraine. And this also has been stopped by our parliament. So it just shows, you know, we are still uh, a different number. You know, we, still, we are still a neutral nation. Um, it's still, you know, we, we offer a bit more, uh, you know, I think private property cannot be that easily confiscated as in surrounding countries. So, I mean, certain mechanisms are still in place. But of course, you know, the, the big banks, I mean, Credit Suisse, it's, you know, might be the next Lehman brother. Um, so, yeah, one day, I mean, it, it, Credit Suisse, you know, it can, it can basically go bust at any time. And if we then have, you know, our central bank jumping in, bailing them out up to a certain level, I'm not, gonna, I'm not sure if it's going to work this time again. No. So I think really it's important to prepare to prepare for, uh, you know, we're not going to go back to pre-corona days. The world has changed. And uh, so people have to start using their own mind, independent of another person's guidance. And I think just, you know, sound, sound reasoning will lead them toward the right outcome and they will understand how to prepare and that it makes sense to uh, exit the system, which is doomed anyway. Well, that's an excellent place to finish the interview exiting the doom system um i think uh, uh that's something that uh i find uh very attractive and uh, i'm sure many of our viewers will uh claudio it's been a pleasure talking to you hope we can do this again sometime soon um and um we'll maybe be talking about much higher gold and silver prices when we do uh until then claudio uh, thank you very much.